This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, The Christ is Not a Person. The Evolution of Consciousness and the Destiny of Man. And the author is J.C. Teft. And J.C. joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, J.C. Hi, Steve. How are you? Well, tell us why you wrote this book. This is a very different view of Christ and also has a a different twist than most uh, Enlightenment kind of books, right? Well, yes. uh, I think that's a fairly accurate statement, Steve. I... uh... As to the why, I, <laughs> who knows why really, but I was fortunate to have been raised in the midst of a number of enlightened individuals when I was young. So I was made of aware of, of, of shall we say, uh, more deeper meanings of things, especially biblically and in ancient scripture-wise, than, than maybe the average guy. And as for me personally, I first began to experience uh, what I can only call revelatory insights into the nature of the universal existence and that sort of thing. When I was a fairly young man in my 20s, I consider that to be no different than the than the revelatory insights that the ancients had when they wrote their stories about it. I, in conjunction with that, I've always been interested in understanding the underlying nature of evolution and consciousness and why we are here, why I am here, for what purpose you know, are we here. Over the years, there's just been a general focus in that area. And uh, from a long time, I sort of always knew that there was a book in the offing at some point. And uh, six or so years ago, that that came to fruition, and I started writing. It took me five years to do it, and it's now published, and I'm I'm grateful for that. Now, you take a look at the Bible uh, through this enlightened philosophy. Now, help us understand a little bit more about enlightenment. Very good question, because these guys in the original ancient times, you know, when you speak of the Buddha and Jesus and so forth, there have been various religions that have grown up out of them, out of their teaching. Obviously, Christianity in terms of Jesus. These religions were really created by, uh, if I may say, lesser sorts, I mean, less enlightened people, uh, after the death of these great enlightened beings who had, uh, uh, who were pointing the way to a conscious awareness that was above and beyond self. We as human beings, even today, continue to operate primarily by identifying with the world of self. And the world of self is all those things we hold in memory, our images and our ideas and our thoughts and uh, experiences. It is one level of consciousness, which is greater than, say, the animal level of consciousness or the plant level of consciousness. It is a higher level of consciousness, but it isn't the highest. There is a greater level, and that level is what I can only call pure consciousness or other than self-consciousness. And uh, uh, it is something beyond the self that is wanting now to come to life in man. 
And as man is in the vanguard of evolving consciousness at this time and at the stage of, of consciousness evolving, um, uh, we are now the participants, if you will, in that process, the lead factors. And consciousness has been evolving since the beginning of time together with awareness in consciousness. In other words, becoming more aware of the actual consciousness evolving within us. And uh, that's where these early enlightened beings are literally, you might call them uh, um, the beginning of a new race of humankind, beings that were raised up above self and could see into things beyond the self and were trying to tell people about it and say, you can find this too, it's within you. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Nirvana is a state of being that comes about within you. And so uh, these ancient uh, enlightened beings were saying this to the masses, and you can imagine uh, this was quite new to them, and, and most of them, quite frankly, didn't have that same awareness in themselves. So to the degree that they were unenlightened in themselves, they, they created, you know, other imagined uh, hereafters and saviors and all sorts of things that isn't what they taught. But uh, so I tried to take a, a different look at ancient scripture from the point of view of the, the enlightenment itself, the consciousness awareness itself, and to say, here's what these guys were really saying. Here's what they were talking about. Here's what they were pointing to. And they were saying to all the rest of us, you too can be enlightened. Just, uh, uh, you know, uh, follow the, uh, uh, well, I, wanna, I, I hesitate to say follow because I don't want to get into following any particular religion. But, but, you know, practice peace, practice love, practice caring, practice opening up, practice letting go, practice, practice, practice these things. And as you do, then through those, you'll be led to a greater thing than the self. And, and through that, we evolve. I, that's, that's an awful mouthful, I know, in one, <laughs> in one question. <laughs> but but it's, um, it's, you know, the book is really goes, is 400 and some pages going into this very thing of uh, what these ancient fellows were really talking about and, and what they really meant when they say, uh, the fi- you know, this, this, this discover spirit and truth in this life now, not in the hereafter. So in your book, do you help us understand how to attain this consciousness, this uh, enlightenment? Well, yes, I think there's many uh, guides to enlightenment written today, and many of them are absolutely wonderful. Eckhart Tolle has written some of the most wonderful work in recent years, and he's very popular, sold millions of books. And I can't think of anything better than, than to read one of his books, for instance. And that's not quite what this is, but what this does is put it into historical context and to say that, well, uh, uh, the, the very thing that Eckhart is espousing today, for instance, is, is what Jesus was espousing, is what the Buddha was espousing, is what Lao Tse was espousing, is what all these great enlightened beings of ancient yesteryear were espousing. It's the same truth. It's the same reality. It's the same livingness. And uh, uh, they're just using different uh, languages, different terms, different cultures gave rise to them, etc. But they're all pointing to the same thing. So my book, if you will, brings this all together. And instead of being divisive and and saying that, well, it's this religion versus that religion or this doctrine versus that doctrine or this belief versus that belief, it's none of the above. 
It's not about doctrines and beliefs. It's about uh, opening up and discovering the truth of who you really are and why you are here. And uh, so I, I think my book adds, uh, uh, you know, a perspective on this. And at the same time, throughout, I keep bringing to light the the wherewithal, the, the, you know, what must need be done to to be enlightened, to to come to a, a, a degree of enlightenment. It does. It doesn't just happen overnight, and it doesn't just uh, come on a whimsy, or it doesn't happen by reading a book. Uh, it, it is something that needs to be attended to, and, uh, and we, in that sense, we as human beings are accountable for it. We're responsible. We're partly responsible for our own enlightenment. It doesn't just come willy-nilly. Well, at the beginning of your book, you were focused on uh, many questions about the Bible. Uh, one that stands out to me is... What is the Bible actually about? Now, I have I I would answer that in a much different way than you would. Okay. I mean, I I would take it from the actual historical view, the 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 you know what people were saying in there, uh, the the prophets of the of the Bible. But you're you're taking this to a in a, a I'm not I guess to another level. You know, it's an, it's an interesting phenomenon, really, and I, I sort of came to grips with this myself as I was working through all this, that ironically, it takes a degree of enlightenment to, to discover the enlightened truths and teachings that are in the Bible or in any ancient teaching. You can't read that stuff absent any enlightenment and, and understand it any better than what it literally says, because if you read with the literal mind, then you're going to get literal answers. But when you when when there's a little more uh, wholeness come into the play here, and you get a little bigger picture as things, then then there's certain stories that start to actually open up and go, oh my gosh, that means more than that. There's meanings behind all the words and metaphors, and and once you get start getting a little uh, uh, ripple of that, uh, more and more starts to open up, and you you start to see, oh my gosh, there's a whole thread of this through the whole biblical theme, through. The story of, of Adam is not what you really think. And the story of Abraham is not really what you think. And the story of, you know, and on and on. The, the prophets, uh, not all of them were equal, certainly, but, but uh, the prophets were speaking of consciousness raising. Uh, not, not, uh, if, if you get into it and, and, and um, I don't know how to, you know, if, if you approach the reading of it differently, and uh, that's actually what this book tries to do, because I was very uh, purposely included the very quotes in there uh, throughout the book, and then I make commentary on it. And I will often say, well, this is how some people might see this, but here's another way to look at this. And, uh, you know, this guy's pointing to this, not that. And it may appear on the surface, but, here, but let's look at it this way. And we just keep working through this together. And as, as, it, as it goes, you, you, can, you can clearly, I think, uh, if you're open-minded and approach it that way, you, you, you'll begin to see the thread yourself. And then it takes on real meaning. Because I, I have to say, Steve, if you read the Bible literally and just go, well, historically this, this happened, that, that happened, and, you know, we're waiting for somebody to show up to save us, why, it really has no relevance today. It has no relevance in your life, really. I don't mean, I'm not accusing you of anything, please. But No, uh, I understand. It, it has, it has, um, 
the only relevance comes if it helps us attain uh, our own greater awareness. And so it's all about, it's always, the teachings are always about greater awareness. They're not about, you know, believing something and then you'll go to heaven. I mean, you can believe all you want. It doesn't make any difference what you believe. It's what you, it's through unbelief, if you will. It's through not holding on to, to things of the mind that the heart brings forth new things. That's the terminology that they used in the old days, you know, the mind and heart business. It is talked about the heart. Well, the heart is something different than the mind. Not the physical beating heart, but just the heart of our being, our soul. It's something beyond the mind. It's something more than the mind. And so uh, this is what they were pointing to and saying, you know, wait and be patient for this thing is coming about. It's going to, you know, when Jesus talked about hang in there, guys, you know, the, the, the kingdom of heaven is here now and wait and, and be patient because uh, there are some of you standing here today who will realize the kingdom of heaven before you die. And what he was saying is you'll realize and understand what I'm saying to you before you die, that this is about awareness and consciousness within mankind that is beyond the self, and when it happens in you, you go, oh, wow, and you suddenly can see what these teachings are all about. So is there a certain way to prepare ourselves to view things uh, amongst these uh, master teachers to better understand the, the deeper meaning that they're trying to tell us? Well, the major, the things that were written down, remember Jesus didn't write the Gospels. Uh, other people did decades after his death. Jesus never used the word Christ either. He spoke Aramaic, and, uh, and Christ is, is not an Aramaic word at all. And so there's a lot in there that happened after the fact. It came about after the fact, just to give some examples. So a lot of what you're reading isn't quite, isn't accurate, or isn't quite on point, but it's enough there to get the gist of it. And Essentially, the teachings are uh, coming from any one of number of uh, people are uh, you know about quieting down the senses and not just being a pleasure seeker, uh, uh, being more of a meditative type, uh, behaving rightly, which means not getting aggressive and violent, but 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 being you know operating with more patience, letting go, backing off. I mean, those are, those are the sort of, when you talk about a technique or a path, that's the, that's the path, if you will. It, it, you know, there's a whole variety of little paths and techniques, but it's, it's not really a path. It's just letting go of self. As Paul said, I die daily, meaning his self has died daily, so that this new understanding can come in its stead and come in its place. And my father, who I now understand to be and knew to be then a very enlightened human being, he had a very big comeuppance when he was 37 years old. And that's the way it often happens. You know, there's a great, there's sort of a seeking thing in, in us that wants to, you know, wants to, wants to come into a better light about these things. And he was one of those characters who, who had a great seekingness in him. He really wanted to know truth and to live a truthful life. And, uh, uh, you know, he was having a hard time because he wasn't quite getting it. And he was in the church. Uh, he was a minister in a church. So, uh, but, but, and he was really ready to walk from the church. He just went, and, and then he met, through his brother, a spiritual guide, if you will. And he went down for a summer and spent the summer with this person 
who literally uh, transformed me. And I say, the person didn't so much, but he was right for the picking. And so as this person worked with him, like you say, well, how do you, well, you know, it's a working through, a working through, a working through. And as this person worked through, he came back a tra- transformed man. He was, he, he, had, he had seen the light, if you will. And from then on, everything was different. And, uh, uh, you know, it was still an ongoing uh, unfolding. It, it doesn't stop. It, it doesn't go jump from here to there. It's, a, it's an unfolding. It's a forever unfolding. But, uh, uh, you know, from, when, when that happens, then, then it, it, it leads you. You, you. you just follow the, the leadings, if you will. And, and, and that, that becomes your, your leadership, your God, if you will. Not books, not other people, but you keep looking at that. There's a story in the Bible about Rebecca, and she so often, is said, inquired of the Lord. Rebecca was the mother of Jacob. She kept inquiring of the Lord before she moved on things, which is to say she meditated, if you will, or she went inward. She didn't go out and ask her, you know, the, the local preacher uh, what she should think. She, she meditated on things, and she waited for a response before she moved. And then she was led, because she called forth that thing, that, that seed. And uh, uh, that's, that's the way it works. After a while, after one gets with it more, you can actually get to the point of calling it forth when you, when you, when, you know, almost at will. Uh, uh, or it just comes. Uh, I can, from my own experience... Uh, I'll be driving down the road, and the presence just shows up, and it's just there. And there's so much clarity, and I and I can't. It isn't. I'm not thinking about it. It's just happening. And uh, and there are other times not so much. And then sometimes you just know. Well, this is a time for this interview. I need. There needs to be some clarity. So uh, I need to just sit down and, and be patient and wait, and let there, you know, let let things come to the fore, and then the things rise up, and they just are there. And then you, and it's not coming from the mind. It's not coming from thought process. It's just coming right out of the wholeness of what is. As Jesus said, it is not I that speak. It is the Father that speaketh within me. And he used the term Father. That's not a term I would use. But what he's really saying is the, the, the consciousness that is the Father of us all is speaking within me. I just step out of the way and it happens. That's how he healed people the same way. He, he, it came right through him, through energy transference. Right. He, had a, he had an openness, and he brought a lot of energy to it, and he could just really step in and move to a thing, and if somebody was willing, they would receive it. And suddenly, there's a, there's a healing that takes place. And so it's a, not only a physical healing, but more importantly, it's a spiritual healing, which, which heals the whole, you know, it heals the whole body, not just part of it. And, and that's the nature of healing. All that is discussed further in the book. Well, J.C., tell us how to get your book. Well, it's published by iUniverse. Uh, uh, and you can, for one, go to my website, and you can learn more about the book specifically from the website, which is uh, uh, www.jcteft.com. That's T-E-F-F-T, jcteft.com. You can also put in uh, com and get the same website, and you can purchase it right through that site, or you can purchase it at any bookstore. It's, it's available everywhere around the world, any bookstore, You'd have to order it. I don't, I'm not sure it's displayed yet. It's fairly newly out, just summer. Well, JC, thanks for being on iUniverse Radio. We really appreciate it. Well, thank you, Steve, and I, I, I appreciate it uh, as well. That was JC Teft. He is the author of his book, The Christ is Not a Person, The Evolution of Consciousness 
and the destiny of man. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. East Texas Meals on Wheels needs your help. For the first time in 35 years, Meals on Wheels has a waiting list for meals. Currently, we serve more than 3,500 meals per day. With the help of donors and volunteers, we can eliminate the waiting list and serve more meals and ensure all who need a hot, nutritious meal are served. You can call our offices toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 to find out more about how you can help. You can also visit our website at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. Again, toll-free at 1-800-451-2912 or visit us on the web at www.mealsonwheelseasttexas.org. After all, when a person needs a meal, they need it today, not tomorrow. Thank you for helping Meals on Wheels. Saturdays on toginap.com. It's Author Talk. Get the story behind the story on fiction and literature, graphic novels, horror, mystery and crime novels, romance, science fiction and fantasy, westerns, history, humor, inspiration, and every genre. It's all on Author Talk. You'll get to hear new authors talk about their books. Take the opportunity to hear insights on what inspired them to write it. It's called Author Talk on Toginet.com. And it's presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their book around the world. Author House has assisted more than 30,000 authors, producing over 40,000 titles. Author Talk with host Steve Jorgensen, every Saturday on Toginet.com. Radio with a cutting edge. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, How to Score with a Woman, and the authors are Marcy Ranka and Pamela Daniluk. Hi, everybody. Hello. Hello, Marcy and Pamela. Good to have you with us. Well, first of all, tell us about your professional background. Let's start with you first, Marcy. Okay. I'm a trained psychotherapist um, and uh, also was uh, uh, the owner of a dating service in San Francisco for a number of years. And uh, I'll let Pam uh, give her background. Oh, well, um, I'm a trained behavioral scientist, and I also work as a teacher and consultant um, with with people that are looking to date and and meet new people. Anyway, how I got involved with this book is I, I interviewed dozens of single women regarding their experiences with men, and it seemed like there were so many uh, interwoven things that they all said the same things. I said to Marcy one day, I said, you know, Marcy, we should really write a book for guys to read. I really feel like they'll totally enjoy this. And uh, what we did then is we correlated the information that she had gotten from the interviews with my voluminous files from the dating service and my back experience as a therapist. And lo and behold, I mean, you know, the same themes, the same ideas, the same desires, the same problems came up over and over again. So uh, we just decided to put it all down in paper in a kind of an easy reading, fun, informative format. And that's it. That's right. 
So there aren't a lot of books for men to oh really God. understand how to no, date a woman. Steve, not at all. I mean, we researched the library. There could be over a hundred for women, how to score with a man. But when it comes to, to books pertaining to how to score with a woman, there was just nothing. And uh, the publishers would say, well, you know, it's conventional wisdom that a man won't go into an actual bookstore and buy such a thing. And we're saying, but that's ridiculous. I mean, men are different in these days. And anyway, uh, there's now the option of the Internet. In the privacy of your home, you can actually sit there and get information on how to score with a woman, and you don't have to go through the so-called humiliation of going into a bookstore and buying it that way. So. So you say that guys are basically clueless as to what women really want or need. That's what you said. I read it right out of your book. No, no guys, let, let's give credit where credit's due. Okay. Um, <laughs> men are great. They, they do have a lot of wonderful things to bring at the table when they're dating. But sometimes they just say they blurt out things and women are smiling and, and, and But inside, they're cringing. They're going, oh, my God, I can't believe you just said it. And they'll never let on. They're just smiling away, and the guys <laughs> are talking away and digging themselves deeper. <laughs> yeah, and, and also, you know, it's important, like, you know, uh, the, how to be a great listener. I mean, so many men just sit there, and, you know, and think they're impressing a woman by going on and on and talking about themselves. And it's such an incredible turnoff. How do you actually meet women? Uh, first date pointers, subjects to avoid. My God, I mean, don't use a woman for, for free therapy. What a turn off is that, you know? So what are the qualities that you would say are number one in women's mind about men? What are the qualities that women love in men? Well, for, since the women's movement, there, there's been an emphasis on, on more of the sensitive man. But at the same time, it's interesting with women. They also love the natural thing. So, you know, it's, it's that fine balance that a man really has to strike. An affectionate man. Humor is huge. The great listener, how I said. A provider. I mean, a man shouldn't even be seriously dating if he's living at home with his mom. You know, just so many things. Pam, you want to add anything? No, well, just on a personal note, I had gone out on a date the other day, and... <laughs> The gentleman was very nice, and I was listening to him, but I said something which I thought was really funny, and he, he kind of looked at me in a strange way, and he was so serious. And I really agree with you, Marcy. I think humor is a great um, aspect that men could bring into uh, to the table. And also, there, here's another one. Guys have a tendency to, to say, say things about their past relationships, and all they start to put everything out on the table at once, and, and most women don't want to hear everything at once. They really don't want to know about how your, your, your family was so dysfunctional and how you hate your, your mother and all these other things. <laughs> and, and then, and then I wouldn't want to know that either if I just met a man. <laughs> you want to keep it neutral, and that's yeah. why we give you a bunch of subjects, how to approach them, how to, when you first get to a, a party, you know, there's like five distinct stages that you can go through from the simple opening line, introductions, you know, certain topics to try and not to avoid, and to avoid, you know, that kind of thing. Now, of course, in today's high-tech world, 
Internet dating is everywhere. You see it advertised everywhere. What's your take on Internet dating? All right. Well, Steve, I, this is Pamela speaking, and I feel that Internet dating is excellent. Now, you know how I know we have a major breakthrough? My daughter just came to me last week and said, you know, Mom, she's gorgeous, by the way, you know, and she's 22. Mom, you know, I, I'm thinking of, of going online on Match.com. I said, you are? You used to tell me you thought that was really weird that I would go online and, and, and Internet date. She said, no, a lot of my friends and I, and these girls are in their 20s, are saying that they're, they're feeling that maybe this is the best way to really sort out the situation and meet, meet uh, guys that would possibly be a good fit. But when I heard her telling me that, I knew that we were totally on the path of Internet dating, and I don't think it's going away soon. So what makes the Internet uh, such an effective way to get to know someone? It seems like, obviously, at the, on the other side of it, it, I mean, you could obviously, I mean, there's a lot of danger on the Internet. I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about really uh, being able to understand someone and really uh, trust someone. Okay. The key thing, in my opinion, with the Internet dating is to have dialogue through the Internet dating and as in stages. They even do it in eHarmony. You do stages of conversation. After the stages of conversations are over and you feel comfortable enough, then you really don't want to just meet for coffee. You want to hear the person's voice. So if you feel safe enough in the conversation on the Internet, the girl could give her number or vice versa. When you start to speak on the phone, uh, then you'll get a better sense of who the person might be through the, the sound of their voice and, and, how, and what they're saying. And, and it's almost like you're interviewing them on the phone before you even go out and, let's say, have tea or coffee or something like that. And, you know, it's also the importance of an updated photograph rather than having the disappointment be palpable when they meet you and you have shown them a picture of you 20 years ago, lying about your educational background. Uh, you know, stick to realistic driving distances, you know, to, to, to connect with someone that you have to get on a plane for. It's, it's just ridiculous. And if it doesn't work out, you've wasted so much time and money arguing online, um, that kind of thing. Well, I uh, I know one way to meet uh, girls. I was with my son. We were uh, walking in his hometown with his dog, and all these women came over to him. And I saw that's in your book. So <laughs> I said, I saw that happen. They, you know, they were. I think they were. You know, they pretend that they like the dog. I, I don't know what it was. Maybe you know. I can't imagine someone. You know, one. Can't even borrow it because they know it's such a chick magnet. <laughs> yeah, it's a chick magnet. Huh? Here's a question for all the guys out there. When you do meet a guy that has a really darling dog and you kind of like the dog but you like the guy more, what, what would be the reason why the guy would, would just, uh, you know, sometimes they'll kind of say, oh, I'm shy and I don't, I, I don't really uh, know how to ask you for your number or something. I don't know. It's a strange situation. I'm just wondering when they do meet them, why they don't ask the girl right away for their phone number and say, hey, let's get together for coffee. Yeah, it's called closing the deal. Women over <laughs> and over again consistently said, I meet somebody at a party, I meet somebody at a park, and he's talking. I mean, we feel the chemistry is there. It's palpable. And then, boom, he doesn't close the deal. He goes, well, uh, maybe I'll just see you again. 
sometimes <laughs> and kind of walks away with his cute little dog. And we're left there going, my God, why didn't you close the deal? <laughs> so women want that today? They, they if, if, again, that chemistry and everybody, I guess, knows it when it's happening, right? <laughs> I mean, everybody knows it. So women today, I mean, when I was, you know, in my 20s, uh, you know, that was a little different back then. I'm I'm an old man now, so I don't understand all these things. Well, but this book, you know, I mean, it's it's, it's good for for young guys entering the dating scene, for divorced guys that haven't dated, you know, in a long time, even for married men who want to improve their love life with their spouse, you know? Well, you have a lot of different chapters. You cover about everything that anybody ever wanted to ask but were afraid to, including one whole chapter on sex, and we'll just leave it so people can, uh, you know, they can read That's for themselves. Right. I have to go out and buy how to score with a woman. <laughs> there you go. On either Google or uh, Amazon. Yeah, you go on Amazon.com. Yeah. The guys out there, Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com, and you just punch in how to score with a woman, and it pops up, and you could you don't even have to go to Barnes and Noble to buy the book. You could just get it online, and I think it's ten ninety five. Yeah, like you just increase your chances tremendously. Now let's talk about potential deal breakers. That's an interesting title. Potential deal breakers. All right. Well, you know, there's there's certain things that women are very leery of, which, of course, you know, the most basic ones are, you know, health things. I mean, if you have the herpes, if you have the HIV, you know, if if you have a felony conviction, I mean, you know, you really have to put these out or date similar uh, people uh, in tons of groups, support groups that are out there. But to be really leading somebody on and just not even mentioning it. Another one, would, uh, another one, Steve, would be if you're recently divorced. Many times, guys, and I know this from the past, from personal experience, many times guys um, w- would say something like, oh, you know what, I, I, um, I really want to meet a girl right away. And meanwhile, they just got divorced. Maybe they've been divorced three months. They ought to sit back a little and take a deep breath. <laughs> and not jump into a relationship so quickly. And we speak about that in the book. Yeah, research has really shown, Steve, that uh, the first two years, certainly the first year, uh, every single woman that you're going to be going out with, you're going to be working through the personal issues that you dealt with with your wife. If she cheated on you, you're going to say poor Mary that you just met yesterday at the grocery store is going to be out there doing the same to you. So you're going to be bringing to the table, to the dating scene, your baggage. And uh, that, that's, the, that's what we advise strongly to, to, to go out in groups and uh, to, to wait as long as possible to start really getting serious with somebody after a divorce. Patience is the key. Mm-hmm. Yes, understanding you know that that. Okay, the young man's out walking his dog, and he <laughs> meets this girl, and the girl and he feel the chemistry, yeah. and she says, "Well, here's my phone number." Now, what does the guy do? No, 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 no. Let's reverberate this. She's not going to say, "Here's my phone number." Most girls are not going to do that. Eighty percent of them will never do it. They're just looking at the guy, waiting for him to say, "Hey." Can I have your number? Okay. All right. So 
he asks the big question and she gives him the number. Now, what? how does he approach her the next time when they talk on the phone? I mean, what's, well, what's the key? The most important thing is, you know, don't call right away. I mean, don't get home and, and leave your message, you know, hi, you know, we just met, you know, 10 minutes ago. And, you know, <laughs> how about tonight? Yeah. Women don't like a desperate man. Uh, there, there, there's even research from the other side, from how to score uh, with a man, uh, on the types of games that girls play. And, and you know, women have been playing games in every society, in every culture, uh, through, through generations and centuries. Things like as basic as, well, I'm crazy about him, but I'm not. If he calls past Wednesday night for a Saturday night, I'm not going to go out with him, even though she's just going to sit home and watch a Lifetime movie. Uh, you know, little things like this. And you know why, Steve, I, and this is Pamela speaking, because I feel that um, women just want to know that, they're, that men are showing them respect, and I think men will always test the waters to make sure that that girl out there is going to uh, notice what he's saying and doing and how he's approaching the situation as far as dating. And so, so we have very, very specific you know, I mean, and it goes on for pages. You know, actual turn-offs, you know, turn-ons, what to say, what not to say. So, you know. Yeah. Everything you ever wanted to know but were afraid to ask. <laughs> right? That's right. And in the privacy of your home, you can just get it online at <laughs> Amazon.com. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's just finish up the this conversation about... How to score with a woman. Now, you have a chapter in their own words. Now, you have women, actually, you're quoting them. Oh, yeah, that's a fun one. <laughs> that sounds like a fun one. Like, we don't want to tell too many of this. No, no, you don't have to give them away. We want them to buy the book. Right. <laughs> but you have actual, you, you recorded uh, what women told you. Oh, yes. And I'm sure they're, they're, these comments are very revealing. Right? Very much so. We are. I mean, from how to ask for a date, what to say, what not to say, hygiene, my God, it's so important. You know, I mean, just a, a thousand little tips that they would just Well, need. I don't know, Marcy. Do you think we should, should give them one, one little excerpt or not? Well, if you, if you, you, think if you have one that comes to mind, Pam... I'm, no, I'm asking Steve if he thinks that... Oh, I think that'd be great if you have one. Yeah, go okay, ahead. Okay, let's see. Let me see which one I think I want to give. Um, what kind of... Tell us often that you love us. That, oh. that affectionate thing, once you're in a relationship. I mean, women just want to feel that they're appreciated. One way is to help around the house. My right. God, you know, that is so important, you know, Remember birthdays and anniversaries. That's huge for us. Don't, don't be, you know. Oh, oh, but I think he's talking about the, the, the words of wisdom, though, from the women. So there's one line where, here's one I'll give. Almost 20 years later, and I still remember how he cooked for me on our first date. I could tell he'd gone to a lot of trouble, and I just thought, here is a great guy who could be a keeper. Uh-oh. And ironically, that's a great tip for guys to save money and to get the girl up to the man cave. <laughs> Learn to cook. Learn to cook. Get, All right. Get up there, have the seduction den, and we tell you just how to set it with you know what kind of music and and you know what what how to lay it all out and 
Women love a man who cooks. You're a man's best friend. Is that what you're saying? You're well, replacing... My, the, and my the, husband <laughs> thinks that we're sharing state secrets. There you go. But uh, it's important to put it out there. I think it will just lead to, to you know, a lot of happiness and a lot of scoring. All right, Marcy and Pamela, we really appreciate you being on oh, iUniverse thank you Radio. Thank Steve. Thank you. That was Marcy Ronka and Pamela Deniluk. How to score with a woman. Mm-hmm. And you can get it at BarnesandNoble.com and Amazon.com and iUniverse.com and you can many others. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, ladies. Thanks, Steve. Good luck, guys. Bye-bye. Score with women. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. He's a diehard American. He's right, and he has the last name to prove it. He's Jason Wright, the host of The Right Side of the Aisle on TogiNet Radio. Jason is a father and self-made entrepreneur who turned a struggling East Texas real estate firm into a top-notch million-dollar company. Jason Wright loves America and is very concerned about where we are headed as a nation. He's dedicated to traditional American values. Jason Wright. Join us every Friday at 11 a.m. Eastern for The Right Side of the Aisle on Tugginet.com. Maybe if I write a book, it will be the thing that keeps me alive. Those are the troubled words of a new 16-year-old author with her first thought-provoking book, What Gives? Published by Togi Entertainment. The author kept a diary during her dark teenage times, which turned into a 360-page suicide note with a happy ending. Texas Monthly describes teen author Chelsea Marie and her new book, What Gives?, in this provocative way. We've plunged from page to page, not because of the young diarist's despondency. Depression is not especially attractive or compelling, but because we are fascinated to see that while she is fending off demons on one hand, she is writing verse with the other. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Readers of What Gives are giving rave reviews. All social scientists, teachers, and students should use this book as a learning tool. What Gives is available at whatgivesbook.com and national bookstores. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Dogon, and the author is Donnie Simmons. And Donnie joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Donnie. Hello, Steve. Well, good to have you on this iUniverse Radio show, Donnie. And you're going to take us into a whole new world with a superhero called Dogon? That's correct, yes. So tell us a little bit about what the story is in just a short a brief way, and then we'll get more into the details of the characters and other aspects of your story. Okay. Uh, very quickly, uh, the main character is a guy named Russell Ross. Russell Ross is a anthropologist, and he works in a fictitious city called Center City for a university called Jefferson University. And essentially, he discovers a primer in genetic evolution. And this particular primer in genetic evolution as he tests it, doesn't have any pathological diseases. So in his quest to find the DNA, it almost costs him his life trying to find this unique article of DNA. At the same time, uh, a sect 
of immortal renegades called the Techno Wizards land on Earth. And their leader, his name is the Mangler. And Mangler quickly hatches a diabolical plot for world domination because these are immortals with superpowers. Um, and essentially what happens uh, in, the, in the book is that Russell Ross discovers with, with the aid of his mentor that he too is an immortal and an immortal destined to fight ancient forms of evil. And he later transforms into the figure Dogon. And the bottom line is there's going to be a showdown between the Techno Wizards uh, and Mangler and, and Ross as Dogon. Why have you written this book? Well, you know, I mean, years and years and years ago when I was a kid, um, you know, you, you get spurred on to reading by very good writers. And uh, I'm a comic collector. And I really have to uh, give, you know, homage to Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Stan Lee wrote for Marvel Comics, and Jack Kirby was the illustrator. And somehow I knew at that point, the moment I picked up a comic book, the moment I read Thor, the moment I read Spider-Man, Daredevil, uh, the Fantastic Four, I knew that I was hooked for life. And, you know, uh, there, was a, there was a sense in me that at some point in time I wanted to develop a character of my own. Uh, and so I did. And it's been a fantastic run. So this is a uh, science fiction fantasy that is put in what setting? What uh, year is this? It's and a, where is it? Now, you talk about this city called, uh, what was it called again? Center Center. City. And it is uh, in the modern day. It's, it's in the here and now. And Center City uh, resembles Manhattan in every way, shape, or form. Um, I needed an environment rich in drama rich with corruption, uh, the political tide that takes place, crime, uh, the need for a hero. And so it seems to me that uh, the setting was picture perfect for the emergence of Dogon. Yeah, I liked how you put it. Corruption, fraud, lawlessness, power, and redemption all rolled up into one. That's correct. That's, <laughs> that's, correct. The, that's the movie trailer version right there, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> sounds like a movie. I mean, it sounds like you're building toward a, a whole new superhero. A absolutely. In fact, I have written the screenplay for Dogon. Um, and so hopefully it'll be coming to a theater near you in the very near future. So Dogon, who is this main character, Russell. Yes. Now, tell us a little bit more about Russell. Have well, see, you know, it's, you know, when you're developing a character, you want to develop a character that has a rich body, rich flavor, rich text. And all too often, you know, when individuals are met with a hardship, I didn't want to, in the end, give the impression that, you know, everything has to end in disaster. You know, if you work hard, if you can meet your challenges, in this particular case, Russell Ross was born what's called a polydactyl, which is, in this case, six fingers on each hand. A polydactyl in real life could be, could be born at birth with six fingers on each hand or six toes on, on each foot. And, but his unique anomaly was that at birth, when they were cut, those six fingers kept growing back, and they kept growing back. 
and they hampered him all throughout life. He couldn't have fun like other kids could. Um, he was also born uh, with a speech impediment, so it impaired him from just being a normal kid. And he felt very disillusioned. Um, the wonderful thing is, is that he had a very powerful intellect. So when you stay in the game long enough and when you believe in yourself long enough, good things will emerge. So what happened over time was that he put all of his energy into his mind, uh, went to school, did the right thing, and as he grew older, eventually he grew out of, he grew out of the stuttering, and uh, he was able to manage his other disability. Uh, he would walk around with bandages on his hands constantly, but he was able to do phenomenal things. And the longer he stayed in the game, the more enriched his life become. So, but he had no idea that eventually he would become this great superhero. And so that is the icing on top of the cake at the end. So he has superpowers. Yes, he does. Um, and his powers, of course, when you're developing a story, you don't want to, you know, take a page out of something that's already been done. So um, his powers emerge when his DNA, there's a latent DNA that he has in his body, is awakened. And once that DNA is awoken, then he begins to go through a slow morphogenesis, a change in his body type. And among his great powers, he has the power to, to fly. He has um, the power to what I call, uh, in the book is called hyperkinesis, which is the ability to, to shapeshift. Um, and then he has the, the, the power of telemetry, which in the book is called instant modulation. So he has all of these wonderful, unique, and distinct powers. And he's going to need all of them to fight the techno wizards. Now, the Techno Wizards come from where? The Techno Wizards come from a planet called Osor, and which sits out in the outer rim of our own galaxy. And they are immortal. They, too, like um, Russell, um, when they transform, have six fingers. They are masters of technology and high wizardry. So they're able to, manip to manipulate elements around them, technology. They're able to shapeshift. So while Russell, in the form of Dogon, has all these other magnificent powers, so do the Techno-Wizards. So does he have allies of any other superpowers here on the, on the Earth? No, he doesn't. Although he does have a mentor, a guy named Dr. Douglas Templer. Uh, not to give too much away from the book, but Templer, in the book, when readers get into it, also has some very unique talents and skills that emerge toward the end of the book, which I think readers are going to really enjoy. Um, so without giving too much away, readers are going to have to really get into it. Well, you've had some uh, couple of reviews done by some outstanding teachers there in the state of New York, and they seem to be very impressed with the story and how uh, exciting and it would it is for their students to read. Yes, yes. I mean, by trade, I'm an educator. Um, I supervise a program. I'm a school building leader of a program for incarcerated youth um, in Westchester County, which essentially means I work 
in a jail, and I work with kids, school-age kids, kids 16 to 21, who have fallen off the path, and I'm working with them along with a set of brilliant teachers and staff to try to get them back on the right track. Um, and so a lot of the book has to do with getting early readers to read, getting individuals who are very much interested in science fiction to really get their fingers into the intricacies of science fiction. I did an enormous amount of research on this book with regard to technology, scientific um, research, um, the, the, the study of the universe, I mean, the study of DNA. So I think that what, what happens is now you have an interdisciplinary text that you can have fun reading and also learn something at the same time. And you have a theme, which is to never, ever give up on yourself. Never. Never. There are too many stories that you and I, just being regular guys in the world, know about. People that you might have grown up with who had very tough times growing up, and it seemed like their lives were just swirling out of control. But then 20 years later, you see them. They look fantastic. They're doing wonderful things in their lives. They are giving and offering. They're doing community service. I mean, real things that you can see, feel, and touch, not anything that's imaginary. I mean, we can take a look at, you know, the big ones, the big icons in our lives. I mean, you look at Oprah Winfrey's life. Look where she came from, virtually nothing. A young lady coming from dirt. She was violated as a young lady and now has become the most incredible personality we've ever seen. You know, look at Barack Obama. Look at Bill Clinton. They come from the dirt, from the earth, and they've done fantastic things in their lives. So, you know, this is not anything that I'm conjuring up. This is not anything that's unreachable. When, when you have an issue, when you have a circumstance, you meet that circumstance head on, you stay with it, and you believe in yourself. And that's what this character does. This character goes through an evolutionary process from can't do it, don't want to do it, being disenfranchised, to finally believing in himself. And when he finally believes in himself, he sees this opening, and then he goes for it. And then good things happen to him in the end. Now, is there romance in your story? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, of course. What would a story be without romance? <laughs> you know, I mean, Ross, um, since he was a child, was very enamored by a very beautiful young girl by the name of Woody. Um, and he knew at the time when he was a kid that he really had no chance at any romantic uh, relationship with her, although she befriended him. A uh, situation growing up where, you know, these guys were bullying Russ and, you know, knocked him down, and then, you know, she was there, everybody else was laughing, and she extended a hand to him, and you know, got him off his feet, and then they became friends. Now, what happens over time is that Woody, you know, who has striking looks and could have been, you know, the world's greatest model, decides to become a cop, and she's a detective. And, of course, Russell becomes this very renowned anthropologist, a paleoanthropologist, study of ancient man, and, and then they meet up again as adults. And next thing you know, that torch is set between them, and um, you have to wait until the second book comes out, which is called Mangler's Revenge, to really see how their relationship blooms. So Mangler is a techno-wizard. Yes, he's the leader of the techno-wizards. 
Now is, is he just does he just want to take over the Earth completely? Well, the thing is, is that he lands on the Earth and he clearly sees. Now you got to understand the techno wizards are escaping confinement from their former world, so they've been on. So they're criminals. Yeah, they're criminals, and they've been on lockdown for nearly an eternity. So you can well imagine they land on Earth. They land on Earth with these mortals who have no kind of powers, you know, to say the least. And so for them, this is a playground. This is something they could easily take advantage of. Um, the other part of this is that uh, how the Techno Wizards were imprisoned has very much to do with Russell Ross very much to, to do with him. So they are not only looking for world dominion, but they're looking to exact revenge on their jailer. And again, without giving it away, Russell Ross has much to do with that. Now, are there others that are involved with uh, the techno wizards that are human, that are trying to uh, get some kind of, uh, take some kind of advantage? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There is, uh, I mean, with every city, you've got a mogul. <laughs> and you've got a mogul who is involved in illegal, illicit activity um, that the cops can never seem to catch. It, you know, people like that always seem to be two and three steps ahead of the cops. You know, and this guy's name is J.P. Prescott. And Prescott is a uh, real estate mogul. And what happens during the evolution of the book is that, you know, Mangler, in order to fit in, obviously, um, you know, guises themselves himself as a modern-day mogul. And then quite naturally, he gets his tentacles into uh, the big guys, of which Prescott is the number one guy. And then during the course of the book, they join forces. Well, tell us how to get your book. Well, the, the book um, is ready for purchase on the iUniverse website. So all any individual has to do is just type in iUniverse.com, Press the icon for sci-fi advantage, uh, adventure fantasy or type in Dogon in the bar, and then there I'll pop up, and you can feel free to order. And that's D-O-G-O-N, Dogon. That's Dogon. And it's probably available through other online bookstores as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Barnes & Noble, all you the big ones, Amazon.com. Do you have a website? Um, yes, I do. If, if they type in D. Simmons... 11 at optonline.net, and just leave me a message. I will direct them right to my website. Very good. Well, we appreciate you being on iUniverse Radio, Donnie. Wonderful. Sounds, Wonderful. sounds like an exciting science fiction adventure. I think people are going to love it. I really do. That was Donnie Simmons. He is the author of his new sci-fi thriller called Dogon iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.